We're your hosts, Dana and Kara, and this is From the Mouths of Babes. Hey babes, thanks so much for joining us again this week. We have some really loyal listeners and we're super grateful for you. And we just wanted you to know that we appreciate you and appreciate you showing up every other week. This week we're really excited to have Katie Hastings join us. Katie Hastings is a author and illustrator of the book Your Safe Body. She is a pediatric nurse, a mother, and child abuse survivor. She created the body safety acronym SHOUT, which is taught in her book to help parents educate and protect their children from sexual abuse. She helps parents teach their kids to be self-advocates and learn that keeping their bodies safe is a big job, but they can do it. She lives in Hawaii with her husband and four sons. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to have you. We are so excited for you that your book is now officially published and out there. We would love to let you kind of share with us how your mission, your platform, and this book came about. I I know you've been on your Instagram. You're very open with the fact that you endured abuse yourself when you were young and it can be incredibly difficult to talk about, but you have spoken about it and we'd love for you to, you know, share some of your story. And because I know that's been a foundation for your passion to protect children and teach others how to protect their kids and for kids to be able to protect themselves. My book is called Your Safe Body. And yes, it came um, from a place of being a sexual abuse victim, but also from my experience in being a pediatric nurse and a mom. And I saw this gap that had to do with um, body safety education. Um, Drawing from experience, one of the things I wish I knew was to say stop. A lot of the times um, when children find themselves in an abusive situation, they're confused or they're afraid they're scared and 93% of abusers are someone the child knows. So they're not really sure what to say when this starts happening, right? Um, And so that's kind of where um, the acronym that is taught in the book, SHOUT, came from. Um, And the first part of SHOUT is to say stop. Um, And then, so S is for stop, H is for help, O is for out, U is for unsafe, and T is for tell. And that's what makes your safe body different from any other body safety book is the kids are leaving with this really simple tool that's also invaluable, that they learn how to self-advocate and they're talked to before anything happens. They're learning how to role play of any unsafe scenario and they know what to do if they find themselves in any safe, unsafe situation, whether it's with an adult, whether it's a peer, another child, they kind of like they're armed with knowing what to do and knowing how to self-advocate. I love that. I think that is such an incredible acronym that will give a lot of power to children. Um, and as you said, to advocate for themselves. So can you walk us through in greater detail, what each of the letters would mean? Like if a child was learning what shout stood for, what would they be asked to do in with each of those letters? If that makes sense. Sure. So um, anytime they're to find themselves in a situation with private parts, right? It's telling them how to keep their private parts safe. They're learning to say stop if anyone were to touch their private parts or want them to show them their private parts. If anyone were want to take a picture of their private parts, if somebody else wanted to show the child their private parts, um, they're learning what safe and unsafe are and to say stop if anyone were to be unsafe with private parts. And then um, help looks like, well, what do you do next after you say stop, right? And it's just get help, right? Or look for help. They can even say help if they want to say help. And then out teaches them to get out of the situation. What do they do if they find themselves in a situation where they have to say stop and someone's being unsafe with private parts? Then they get themselves out of the situation if they can. And if they can't get themselves out, it teaches them not to go back to that same place of that same person again. And then unsafe, it it helps them identify, okay, that was unsafe. 
um, any sort of unsafe touching or unsafe with private parts, whatever that might look like. And then they learn to tell because a lot of children don't tell. They're embarrassed, they're afraid, they're ashamed, they don't know what to do. And that's the problem with repetitive abuse. Um, and a lot of the times, like I said, if it's someone the child knows, the abuse can be repeated and perpetuated if the child doesn't know to tell. And the tell part also goes over that they know that they're not in trouble if they tell. Um, and that a safe adult will want to get them help if they tell. So that's kind of it broken down and the book goes into greater detail. Um, and then the kids can just kind of, they kind of can take that into different scenarios. It also opens the door for communication with your children and parents. And that was the purpose of this book. It's gonna start conversations in your home and your kids are gonna have questions and they might have experiences they wanna to talk to you about. That's happened almost every time someone reads, they tell me like, oh my goodness, my kid told me about this and I didn't even know what happened. And the, the child will be talking about something that happened three years ago. And sometimes it's innocent play. Um, one mother, for example, told me her child said um, that they were playing one time um, with cousins and one was a boy and one was a girl and they were changing in the room and they were toddlers. So a totally innocent situation, right? Yeah. Totally that nothing happened, but they un understood like clicks like, oh, that could be an unsafe situation and they tell the parents about it. And there's so many experiences like that. It opens the door to start that conversation and leave the you being able to flow that naturally with your children where they feel comfortable asking questions and asking about different scenarios. Wow, I think that's excellent. I, I think when I think back on my own experiences, so I've mentioned this um, before, on the podcast. So our listeners are aware, but, um, I experienced some sexual abuse as a child as well. And I think the most difficult part for me, when I think back on those experiences, when I did have adults reach out to me, like my parents, when they would try to talk with me, I did feel a lot of shame and guilt. And I didn't feel like I could talk to them because I thought, well, why are they asking me? Like, I must've done something wrong why else sure. would they ask me? And so I think the fact that you're providing a platform and a resource to start the conversation early on between parents and their children, so that it's not a question when, or if things come up, whether or not they're in trouble, but that their parents love them, that they have their best interest in mind, and that it's coming from a place of concern rather than blame or shame. Sure. Oh, and I love that. And you're right. Shame plays such a big role in why children don't tell. And yeah. I think um, our reaction as parents, if a child were to present us with an unsafe situation, is just to try to stay calm, right? Because obviously, no parent wants to hear that. It's not no loving parent wants to hear that that's happening to their child. Right. Um, and the best thing we can do is be supportive and be caring and be calm and help the child face the problem, right? Reestablish safety, help them get connection, get them resources to help them and just not despair, you know? Um, and shame is something that looks different for everybody. It looks so different. And it's something that I feel like is a constant work in progress personally. Um, and I think that's where, you know, it's gonna look different for everybody, but just having that support from a parent, hopefully it's a parent that can support the child. Unfortunately, there are parents that sexually abuse their children. Um, so if they can get some sort of support from a safe adult, that's just key to helping them move forward. You know, Katie, I think that obviously, as Kara mentioned, your own experience has been a pretty big foundation for why you have the passions that you do. Um, and so if you're comfortable sharing, I would love if you could share a little bit of your story and if you were able to use shout, you know, as a, as a child with your own experiences or what, what has helped you in coming to terms and working through your own trauma with abuse. Sure. Absolutely. So, um, for me, abuse occurred from a family member. Um, my earliest recollection of abuse, I was a toddler about three years old and it 
happened from the time I was three years old until I was 14, like a countless yeah. number of times. Um, it included just a whole series of um, sexual exploitation of a child, um, molestation, um, you know, rape, you name it. Like, and it was um, calculated and methodical. Definitely, I did not use shout. I was afraid to challenge this adult. Um, you know, as parents, we teach children to be respectful to other adults, to their coaches, to their teachers, to, you know, their aunts and uncles, their family members. Um, so for me, really, it was kind of that foreign feeling of challenging an adult. Sure. And that's kind of where I'd say shout came from, because I definitely wish I knew it would have been okay to say stop. You know, I definitely in those moments um, reacted in fear and froze and didn't really know what to do. Um, mm. So I think, um, you know, that's kind of where it came from. For me, it was just like, yeah, if I would have known, you know what I mean? But the difference for me too, is I had a safe home environment. So this wasn't like somebody that lived in my home, right? So it's like, I would go for um, a few months without things happening and then it would happen again. So it just kind of always like, was this what all I knew from this person too, because it started from being so young and that's why yeah. the abuse went on for so long. Um, and it also just ended when, um, when my abuser decided to leave his family. And so in my mind, the problem was solved, right? He was gone, problem's gone, but it took um, years of, just, I think needing to come to be an adult, also becoming a mom and just having these different phases of my kids being the age I was when certain abuse happened and realizing, wow, nothing like that's ever happened to them. And, and there were other victims too. And I, you know, it's something you don't really want to talk about. Right. Yeah. And you start to get the healing and move forward. Um, there's also a lot of dissociation involved with my abuse, which if anyone knows, of that it's just it's really you're checking out right you're in a different world um and it's a it's a protective mechanism that your brain does to protect yeah. you from something that's not safe right and um so as those memories and things you begin to address them that played a big role in my healing too you asked about that and um but also was this intuitive feeling to like go report it's kind of like i nearly got to this this state of um, realizing how bad the situation was, right? Cause like kind of in my mind, it was like he was gone and problem solved. But then as I became a mom, you start seeing the problem was not solved and he was out in society still. And that's kind of what led to me and also other victims um, making reports against this man who is now in jail um, and has been sentenced, but it wasn't easy. We just barely finished trial um, about a year ago. So that shows you how long it took to get through that process and also reliving, having to make reports, press charges, stand in trial. Um, it just brought an entire awareness of where the gaps are that we need in society to help our kids. And really that's when shout started. So, wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know that that can be difficult to relive those experiences so thank you. Um, yeah. So you had you not told anyone about that until you were a married adult mom? You know, I told people I said it in a way a seven year old would explain. Um, there were a few times like trying to talk to people and my reaction back was, um, you know, this was this was a family member. It was an uncle. It was, I don't think that happened. I think you're confused and nothing. The thing is, is there's no one else to blame, but the abuser in this situation for me, it's, um, and again, trying to describe what's happening as a seven-year-old to an adult, how much information was given, you know, but it's the, that part of things is also, you know, we need to open that door. If a child comes to talk to you that they know, you know, to investigate it, right? And we know not to sweep it under the rug. And um, the other thing to remember is abusers are um, manipulative, we know, to children. But we also need to recognize that they're manipulative to their parents to get access to them. You know, and that was a lot of the scenario with me. It was offering for help 
with childcare. It was, um, you know, it was, that was a lot of it. Offering for help with childcare, seeing, you know, it would be fun to go to a cousin's house or whatever. And it was just the way that they went about it. Um, I wasn't the only person manipulated in the situation is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And so if we can recognize that and it's someone that we're as adults think we can trust, then, you know, it's at all costs, like protect the child. If a child comes to you, because half of the time, the abuser, again, I've said that a few times, but 93% of them are someone they know and that the family knows that the parents know. And when a child comes to you with that sort of information, you don't want to believe it about that person, you know, cause they're your friend, they're, they're your family, they're, you know, so, yeah. well, yeah, that, I think you said it really well that in this situation, I think in a lot of situations, there's multiple people that are getting manipulated simultaneously. And I think having that understanding is helpful because then as a parent, like you said, if you find out that that's happening, I'm sure that there's a lot of sadness and hurt that maybe you didn't recognize it. You know, so I think that, that, yeah, that's just, I'm really glad that you bring that up. And I was just thinking of like, you just made such good points, like the grooming that you experienced was like basically from birth, which is so hard that, you know, it started at three, you were a baby and the grooming started before you were born, right? Like with your parents, your family members. And it, it it made me think of that Netflix documentary abducted in plain sight. Um, I don't know if you ever saw, it's like, it is one of the most shocking abuse, like documentaries I've ever seen, because it just puts the grooming of, of the child and the parents like on a platter and, you're just like, what? Like, how did the, how are these parents so stupid? Not see it. Yeah. Oh yeah. You probably shouldn't even watch it. It's probably too triggering. <laughs> it's, it's enraging. It's a little older, but it just may, you know, it just, you kind of always think that you'll be able to see the warning right. signs. Sure. And, and I think with education tools like your book and just basic education, like hearing the word grooming and more readily, um, in the last few years, I feel like, you know, as this mm, generation of parents that we're in, we're, we're trying to be more proactive. Um, and yeah. And then the, you know, the victim blaming that you kind of experienced or uh, not being believed or understood. I was just talking to a friend today. She was triggered. She was sexually assaulted um, when she was, I think, 15 and by a boyfriend. And um, she was watching something and she was triggered from a TV show of like victim blaming and not being believed. Like, no, not that guy. And so just so many points. So like, that I think other people that have, have experienced similar types of abuse and trauma, they can relate to those feelings of, and the shame of, of not being believed. And that's a change that we can make going forward, especially if our children come to us and in their best seven-year-old voice, try to explain what's going on or, you know, like your experience. So I just, I really appreciate you sharing those most vulnerable parts about it. Sure. You know, there was one thing um, you had mentioned about wanting to know more about gut feelings. And I think yeah. that is something that's so important. And I mean, I know it could be a subjective topic, but I think we've all felt a gut feeling. I don't think anyone can deny that and call it what you want. Some people call it a gut feeling. Some people call it intuition. Some people might call it, it's more spiritual, like a Holy spirit. Right. Yeah. But there is science to it. I mean, we are given different emotions. Scientifically, we have a fight or flight experience, right? It's, it's primal. Like it was a protective mechanism for 
our early ancestors to keep them safe and warn them when there was danger, usually an actual predator, an actual beast predator, right? Um, and they're real. It's these real hormones that we can sense when there's danger, right? And um, I think that it's just important, like, even if nothing happened, even if, even if um, I have an uneasy feeling about, you know, not reacting from fear, but if I have an uneasy feeling about a situation, even if um, my child's been at someone's home and come home and just says, you know, I just kind of felt like something's off and nothing happened. We're going to listen to that, you know, and it's, I think every time that they learn how to listen to something that feels off, they learn to listen to it again the next time. You know, one of my friends was telling me that um, she had a parent who was um, a psychiatric nurse and oftentimes she'd kind of go in on the the nurse's station after school doing her homework and stuff. Um, and she said that she came to learn just from being there that a majority of the patients that were there had been sexually abused and experienced some sort of trauma. Okay. And so she just said, she just, for whatever reason, just learned to trust her gut feeling. It was something her mom told her, but also something that like she felt. And so she said, so I'd listen to it. If I'm walking home and you know, it seems like common sense, but there's like a dark alley or something, a dark street. Like I wouldn't go down there. I'd listen to that feeling that told me not to do it um, because we don't want to learn what would happen if we didn't listen. Right. Um, and so I think if we learn to rely on just some of those feelings, we get intuitive gut feelings, teach our children that again, even if there was no actual danger present, but they felt like something was off in a scenario, I think it's important to listen to that. Um, and the way you know if someone, if your child felt off or felt like something was unsafe is checking in with them. You know, if they're after school every day, you ask your kid how their day was, um, ask them if, um, you know, what was good that was happened? What was bad that happened? Did anything make you feel unsafe? And just make that part of your, your conversations, you know? And so then they're left with these open-ended conversations that are part of their routine that they can open up to you about something that might feel off or something that was unsafe that maybe they wouldn't have told you otherwise. Love that. Yeah. It, make, it makes me think of like, I remember, uh, I think right when I started having kids like reading a blog post or something like that about teaching your kids that it's okay for them to say no to touch, like from like, just because grandma or grandpa wants a hug or a kiss doesn't mean you can say no. And that was like, so mind blowing for me for some reason that like, I like my kids and me, like I have, I'm allowed to have physical boundaries and like body autonomy. And I'm allowed to listen to those intuitions, like to not make other people comfortable. Like other people's right. comfort is not more important than my own, like so radical to me. And so I love that having that open-ended question of like, did you ever feel unsafe or did you feel uncomfortable and like reminding kids like, yeah, you're, you're in charge of your body. No one else is. And you're allowed to say, no, I love that. Well, thanks. Well, and just that example you gave of, you know, maybe we, even if it's a totally safe interaction and the child doesn't want to that shout it's stop. You know, anytime someone makes you feel uncomfortable, you can say, stop, you know, that's when the lines in the book. So it's really, like you said, it's a generational shift. You said something about that earlier. It really is. It's our mothers and fathers did better than the generation before them. And it's our responsibility now as mothers and fathers to be better than the generation before and our children too. And it's just teaching them some of these things because it is cultural to say, hey, respect your grandma and grandpa and give your auntie a hug. Or, and if they don't feel comfortable, there's definitely a big shift now culturally to say, you know, I, no, that's okay. Or stop. Like, we're not going to force them to do that. We're not going to force them to respect every adult that may not be safe, you know? Yeah. So then what's going along with this as a parent, then, you know, obviously we're having these open-ended discussion discussions. It's just becoming a part of our routine. I think helping them in real time to acknowledge that this gut feeling 
intuition, whatever they're feeling, identifying that for them. But then as parents, when they do express discomfort or they do have a gut feeling that is just off, how do we as parents listen and then trust them? Sure. So you validate it, right? Um, ask them more. Well, what did that feel like? And let them give a response and let the conversation flow naturally, right? Um, and every time you validate that they felt uncomfortable in a situation, then they learn to listen to that voice more, right? And maybe it is anxiety and fear. Maybe it is unnecessary. And you can walk them through that too and talk to them about what anxiety and fear look like. Um, it's natural to feel all those feelings, right? So that's what I would say is just validate it. And every time you help them identify it, they become more aware of it. That's interesting though. Cause in my mind, I'm thinking like, man, that's just like such a fine line to walk because we are also in this day and age, anxiety has become even more prevalent. So how do we distinguish between what is anxiety and what is like an actual issue? Sure. Um, you know, I think that probably looks different for everybody. Like, yeah, I think if you could identify personally in yourself, a time where, you know, you felt a gut feeling and an intuition and what that felt like. And then if you could identify in yourself, a time you felt anxiety and what that felt like, and you're right, they can be super similar, but usually, usually the anxiety is going to come with a lot of fear involved, right? And it might be coming from drawing off past experiences of something bad that happened um, because your brain, when it feels anxious, it's not liking whatever situation it's in, right? Yeah. It's been maybe in something like that before and it's saying, oh, I don't like that. This is bad, right? Yeah. And then those gut feelings usually are a warning that maybe isn't even associated with anything, any harm or bad thing that's ever happened before. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I would maybe distinguish it. But I think it could look, like you said, it could look different for each of us subjectively. And I think it's do the same exercise with your kids. Be like, okay, when's the time that you just felt really anxious or nervous? Like, how did you feel when you had to give a presentation up in class? How did that make you feel? You know what I mean? And did that feeling of unease feel the same way or did it feel different? And I think that, you know, cause we can all relate like our anxiety where our heart's going to be racing a bit. We might feel a little sick to our stomach. Yeah. Um, we might have a dry mouth. Um, uh, we like children, they might feel like they need to go pee. That's a very common sign of anxiety in children. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And then, and then an intuitive feeling might feel a little more calm and peaceful and more like a warning sign. Interesting. Those differentiations there, I think talking about those with your kids will not only help them acknowledge the difference, but also us when we are conversing with our children, what the difference is. Sure. Um, I was just thinking that that basically teaches our kids emotional uh, maturity on like regulation. Yeah. Like for them to be able to identify their feelings and like talk it out and label it really well. I feel like that, you know, even if it is just anxiety, you know, like in the future, it'll help them process and, you know, they'll be able to tell, they'll be able to verbalize, Ooh, this is a real warning versus this is just my body being like my brain being my brain, you know? And so I, I just really like that if we could, the more we talk with our kids and allow them to have their feelings and hold space for them, the more they're going to be able to learn about themselves and be better, more functional humans than we are, I think. No, you're right. Well, in either way, like if they're feeling anxiety or if they're feeling some sort of gut feeling, either way, it needs to be addressed. Right. So like you said, just working through that emotional resilience and helping them regulate that on their own. And it can look different for everybody. I mean, I just made a post about tapping, like tapping is so effective to calm, like anxiety. Um, there's so many YouTube tutorials, you know, of, 
um, different tapping techniques and stuff. If anyone's interested in looking for those and deep breathing and, you know, when someone's feeling that way, but anyway, when you said that either way, the emotion needs to be addressed, right. And help pick it apart and figure out what it is. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So I think being an, an, abuse, uh, survivor yourself. And I'm thinking from my own experience, it's really easy for someone to just be like, okay, we're just not going to do anything. We're not going to have any relationships. We're not doing sleepovers, like all the different things. I think it can be really easy to just stop living life and put a lot of restrictions and bumpers around us and our, and our children to protect them. Um, but I also think that that's sometimes not as helpful, um, because, you know, we, we need to allow our children to have agency and make choices, obviously within a boundary. Um, one thing that I thought was really interesting, and I would love to have you speak to this is especially because of your own experience, I I saw that you have a son who just started doing child acting, which I think is awesome. But I feel like this is a pretty like notorious place for abuse to happen. We've heard a lot of different stories from childhood actors who've experienced abuse, um, kids who are in the modeling agency, things like that. So how have you been able to allow your kids to still live life to its fullest while also keeping them safe, what are some like practices that you personally put in place for, for you and for your son? So, I mean, for him, he's just done little things like commercials with acting, but just like any other hobby, whether it's acting, it's basketball, it's baseball, it's football, it's dance, it's gymnastics, you know, anytime, essentially there could be scenarios where we're dropping our kids off with you know, without us there. Right. And that's cool, you know? Um, and that's really what shout is about. I mean, that's how you, you help them self-advocate, you help them know what to say or do and identify unsafe situations. Right. Um, but the reality is too, is it's just the same thing. Like we talked about a little bit earlier, it's checking in anytime after they're not in your presence and with you. And it definitely can be hard to have your kids go try to do something like, um, you know, our, my kids have had some overnight field trips recently or in the summer they went away to horse camp for a week. Um, and you have to talk about it before they go and check in when they come back. And you have to make sure as a parent too, especially if you've been a victim that you're not operating from fear because yeah. it's important to nurture our children's social and emotional needs, right. And give them social experiences. Um, but the biggest thing is, you know, no matter what it is that the child, um, extracurriculars or activities that they're going to be involved in, or they're all going to have activities come up, right. They're all going to have field trips. They're all going to have things that they're going to. And, and that's where something like shout comes in. It's having these active conversations beforehand. It's talking about the dangers and what would you do if someone were unsafe? What would you do if, um, with private parts, what would you do if somebody wanted to show you pictures of private parts? What would you do if someone were being, whatever that unsafe scenario was, you role play it out before children learn so much from role play. Um, but it's preventing in the first hand, it's having had those conversations in, in the home before they're out experiencing it in the world, you know, and then obviously being involved as a parent, like, you know, um, for my son specifically, like, um, I'm there with him on a set, like I'm not leaving. And if there's any jobs that don't allow parents to be there, then he's not doing it. Um, whether that's right or wrong, that's how that looks for me, you know, and there's, um, so, and, and every scenario looks different, you know, whatever the hobby is that they're in. And so you lay down that boundary that's right for you and for you and your child and follow it. I think that's great. So that just makes me think about one of my loved ones. One of the most traumatic experiences of his life was in high school being in like at student council sleepaway camp and having boys in the cabin 
um, talk very graphically about sexual experiences they had and oral sex. And that, you know, for someone who hadn't been exposed to sexual conversations like at all, um, that was significantly traumatic. And it, it, and many boys and girls are exposed to pornography at, you know, in the locker room or at sleepovers, you know, when they're a little bit older. And I think having these conversations and establishing, you know, courage and, and knowing that I'm allowed to say, no, stop talking. And I don't want to see that or, and being able to leave the cabin and go find an adult and say, I don't feel safe in this cabin. Um, I, you know, teaching our kids young that if they're uncomfortable at all, they don't have to stay in that situation and that can protect them and allow them to heal as they get older in a a much more substantial way. Well, well, and like instilling confidence that exactly they have control. Yeah, exactly. So obviously shout is preventative, right? We're trying to prevent abuse from happening in the first place. What if unfortunately though, uh, whether your child even does shout and abuse still happens, maybe they don't, whatever the scenario, what is the appropriate response after for a parent after they have heard of abuse transpiring? Right. I mean, the biggest thing is to be supportive and to be caring and you've got to be calm. Right. And, um, I mean, I kind of said this before, but you, you support, you're caring, you're calm. And then when the time's ready, you face the problem, you know, you protect the child at all costs, you, um, reestablish safety for them and consistency and you get them resources for help. There's so many out there. And then whatever that looks like too, if you need to report to authorities, if they need medical attention, whatever that is, that's part of, um, you know, reestablishing the safety. If they need medical attention, it's, um, you know, face the problem could look like making a report when that time comes. Um, and then I think the biggest thing too, is just like not to despair as parents, you know, it's not an easy situation. I've never faced it, but I can see how it's affected my parents, you know? And that played a lot too, in me not wanting to say anything because you don't want to bring pain to anybody. Nobody wants to bring pain to anybody. Um, and, um, I think that it's just important not to despair in that and to remember like we're malleable beings, malleable beings. Um, and you know, one thing that I listened to recently, um, was a book called what happened to you? It's Oprah and another psychologist. It's great. I just and, read that too. And then I oh, recommended super good, it to right? Yeah. So, oh yeah, my gosh. It's, it's super good. Anybody who's experienced trauma, their child has listened to it. It just helps you explain the way the brain processes trauma in a scientific way. And one thing, um, I can't remember that psychologist's name. Let me, let me see. Do you remember his name? Oh, let me look. Carl. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. It's Bruce D. Perry. Okay. So Bruce D. Perry says, um, he doesn't like when people explain that children are resilient. How many times have we heard this? Right. Yeah. I I'm telling you, like, you know, it's something that's been said to me before. Um, so many times children are resilient and although no one means anything by it and they are, he says, children are malleable. He says, think about a stress ball. When we squeeze, squeeze a stress ball, you know, it, it crumples all in, it crinkles, and then slowly it expands and goes back to its exact same shape. And he says, that's never what's going to happen when someone experiences trauma. You are never going to go back to being the exact same person you were before you experienced that. And that's not a bad thing. You're taking these experiences. Now you've learned like what to do. You've learned, you've learned like there's unsafe people in the world you've learned what trauma feels like. You learn what betrayal feels like. You're not going to go back. And that's not a bad thing. You're going to use that experience. This is my, in my opinion, you're going to use that experience in your life. It's going to, it's going to make you wiser. It's going to like make you more aware. And 
you know, if anyone would have told me even two years ago that I would have written this book and come out publicly about what I went through and be helping anybody the way I am with my book, like I am, I would, I would have even foreseen it. And the thing is you come out stronger. It's like, you know, we know when a fire comes and burns um, down, maybe a crop or something, it grows back healthier and stronger through the ashes. And it's learning that like, Hey, you know, it's trusting, it's having faith that this process you know, I'm malleable and I'm never going to be exactly who I was before, but that's not a bad thing. Now I'm wiser and stronger and I have this experience. Now, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to crumple? Am I going to let it ruin my life and take my happiness? Am I going to make it feel, if it's a parent, am I going to like make it feel like I'm a failure as a parent, that I'm a bad mom? If you're the victim, are you going to let the shame be over consuming and control your life? Or are you going to learn how to like be malleable and move forward? And that's the challenge. And it's not easy. I'm not going to act like it's easy. I mean, there's so much that goes into traumatic experiences and trauma can be so many things, not just this sexual trauma. There's so many things that could be traumatic in our world and experiences that we face. And it's just like, it's our choice. What are we going to do with that? Right. I love that you make that point. I think that a lot of people just like kind of in a cultural way, like trials happen to make us stronger. So like, and, and it's like, no, like this didn't happen to me specifically. Like you didn't ask, you know, you're, you were not abused so that you would become stronger. People don't experience, um, miscarriage so that they become stronger, but here is the trauma that happened. Here is the experience. And you have the agency to, to choose to grow with that and to become more or to stay stagnant or, or whatever, you know? And and so I just love that. It's such a, it's such an empowering way to phrase it. I think the way you said it, I just love that. It it reminded me a lot. So, um, I have a nephew who is serving a, uh, service mission right now, and he works a lot, um, with, um, addicts in a recovery program. And I think to, to the point that you made earlier, um, a lot of these people have experienced trauma in their life. And that's been a big reason why they have turned and have the addictions that they do. Um, but he said something really beautiful in an email that he wrote out to our family that I'd love to share, uh, because what you said, Katie reminded me a lot of this, but he said, While we may feel broken beyond repair, God is capable and willing to heal and repair us fully. If he can create beauty from ashes, he can beautify us when we feel like ashes burnt to a crisp with the world, unable to offer any hope of restoration. Jesus Christ can redeem us. And I, I think all of us are of the same opinion that there can be really difficult things happening um, in your experience, Katie, with the abuse that you have experienced. Wow. Just wow. But I am sure that you have been redeemed. As you said, like the fact that two years ago, you would not have been in a, in a position where you could share your story and use this experience as a platform to bring hope and, uh, bring awareness to other families. So I think, it's just a testament that despite the experiences that we have, um, I truly believe that Jesus Christ can use these experiences for our good and for the benefit of others, despite how difficult they are. That is so beautiful. Thanks for sharing. Um, and I, I fully agree, like absolutely agree with that. But like I said, if somebody's in a state where they're not feeling that they're feeling like they're the crisp or ashes. They're feeling like despair. They're feeling like they don't know where to get to help or get the help they need. That's totally natural to feel that way. Yeah. Like it is okay to feel that way. And gosh, I mean, I've been there. Like we've all been there. So like to like say, Hey, I've been there and like, see the healing that, that can take place. I think 
I hope that that brings in, you know, a sense of faith or hope to light the way for somebody else. It's like, Hey, there is a way out of this dark hole and it's not going to be easy. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't take a whole lot of effort, consistent daily effort, but it will get better, you know, and just like not losing that hope. So what was it for you then that finally gave you the courage to hold your abuser accountable? Because that's a long time, a a long time of dissociation Um, and fear, fear. Honestly, it was a spiritual experience. It was getting on my knees and praying one day after another victim of the same abuser had opened up to me about their experience. And like I told you, I had a lot of dissociation. There's a lot of memories that were very vivid and very clear. Mm-hmm. Think about um, a Christmas gift you were super excited to get as a child. You were just like over the moon ecstatic to get. You can remember that, right? You can probably remember what the gift was. You can yeah. probably remember playing with it, what it felt like, how it felt to rip that present open Christmas day. Maybe you can smell the Christmas tree. You can remember whatever was going on, right? And most of us could, we could describe that. I mean, a lot of those abuse memories were that vivid, like, like they're very real, like as much as as an exciting, fun, good memory, those memories are very real. And you can probably relate to that. And you can get a lot of triggering through different sensories and things that would remind you of trauma. Um, They're very real. So some of them were very real in my mind. A lot of them were dissociated, but there was this instance. And I think the time I feel like it was the right time. Like after this person opened up to me about what they experienced, who also didn't talk about it. I was just on my knees and praying and I just felt it. Like it was just like you were protected and had you not been protected, you know, it's possible you wouldn't be here today. And without sharing too much of a very personal spiritual, spiritual experience, that's in a, in a nutshell. And I didn't know what to do with that. I truly didn't. I took that information and there's more to that story, but I took that information and thought, I don't know what to do this and with this information. Um, I looked up a few different detectives and then I stopped and I didn't do anything. And then I got a call from one of the other, another, right, there were a lot of victims. This was not a good person. I got a call from another victim, probably a few months later. Um, and she had a recollection and she talked to a Bishop, you know, like a minister or Bishop or whatever for her, it was a Bishop and reported some memories she had. And because she was a child, when it happened, he had to report it to the authorities. Um, cause you know, you're required by law. Right. And so, um, she called letting me know that she had made a report against this abuser and that she knew that there was something that happened to me, but I'd never opened up to her fully, but she knew there was, there were, there were circumstances that pointed to that, you know? And she said, would you be willing to talk to this detective also? So there was a huge spiritual push in that guys. And whether people believe in that or not, that was my experience. And that's what I can tell you is I was pushed Hey, again, it's that intuition, go and report. I kind of looked, I kind of did the effort. I didn't really know what to do. I didn't know where to start. And I just didn't do anything. And then somebody else calls me a few months later who made the report and said, would you talk to this detective? Like, I didn't know what detective to talk to. I didn't know where to start. And that work was done for me. It literally was laid in my lap. Um, and a few other victims came forward and made reports too. But, um, that was my personal experience. And Now drawing from that experience, not everybody's going to have that story. Um, I didn't know how to report, right? That's what I told you. Well, here's how you report. If anyone else has been through the same thing and is wondering, what do I do? You need to go back to the local, um, local police department of where the abuse occurred. And that's how you make the report. And they'll, they'll get you started on the path that detectives will, um, maybe some people know that, and maybe some people don't, but that's where you start. So. That's so helpful. Know. Yeah. I just, I, I think it's such a good reminder too, that if you are any, like an ecclesiastical leader, if you are a youth 
minister or a youth, a teacher, a Sunday school teacher involved with children at all, you are a required um, reporter. And I guess as dental hygienist, I, if I suspect abuse, I am required to report it as a nurse, you're required to report it. And I think oftentimes, especially within religious communities, that can be really scary to, we, uh, this is, I probably shouldn't even bring this up. So we had someone in our ward, a previous ward who was filming, um, um, his children and the neighbors and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it took some serious time, but finally someone reported it to the Bishop and the Bishop reported it, you know, and it was it's such a shock like this. He's a good man. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and I think that a lot of people put it off for many years. I think this man was a Bishop when his, some of his first victims, like, tried to report things. And so a massive abuse of his power and position. Um, but I just retook the like protecting youth thing on, uh, church of Jesus Christ.org. And it was a good reminder that, um, I am a required reporter you know, dealing with the youth in, in my ward under, you know, my stewardship. So, um, that can be scary and it's hard to know where to start. So being brave enough and listening to the spirit and intuition, I think is really important. No, you're right. Well, and like you said, I mean, that instance with the Bishop, it happens it happens in every community and every religion. Unfortunately, it happens. And like you said, like prevention is the key. And then reporting to, you know, one thing they always uh, teach in nursing seminars is, like you said, your obligation to report any suspected form of abuse and neglect. Um, but we're not required to prove it. We just need to report it. And then you can let the authorities do the investigation. And that's not to say that there are uh, reports that go that the situation's okay, but what that does is it gives the welfare systems an opportunity to do a well child check. And then either there's a problem or there's not, you know, but if that brings any sort of peace um, for people that are in that sort of position where we, we have a obligation to report any suspected child abuse or child neglect that it's it's not our job to prove it um you know so you can let maybe some of that weight go but it's just our job to report it and let those who are trained professionals investigate it love that thank you for sharing that Mm because that definitely I feel like takes a weight off of me and I'm sure for other people who are thinking the same thing and have the fear of, of reporting it so I think that's awesome well, Katie, it has been so wonderful having you talk with us. Thank you for using your experiences as a springboard again, for education, uh, for other families. Uh, thank you for sharing your experience as difficult as that may have been. Um, wow. Thank you. And for those of you who are wanting to purchase her book, um, it is available in many different sites. We will link all the different sites in our show notes. Um, you can purchase it directly from the publisher, from the publisher on Amazon. There's also an ebook that you can get. Um, it's available on Kindle. Um, but the name of the book again is called your safe body. And we will make all the, the links available so that people can go and purchase the book. Um, now that we've covered a pretty heavy topic about kids, let's lighten it up a little bit and let's, uh, let's do everyone's favorite portion of the episode, which is our segment. This came out of the mouth of my babe. Sure. Okay. So, um, I have a funny story is what I was going to share. Love it. Um, so my son was kindergarten 
and I get a call from the teacher and they say, we really need you to come pick your son up. We're struggling with him at school. And I'm like, okay, what, what's going on? And she tells me, well, let me give you a little history. He was really into superhero shows at this time. Okay. Like really getting into him. So she says, well, he's at recess. And when the aide blew the bell, um, the whistle to come in, he was playing dead. And then he proceeded to play dead the entire way from uh, the teacher aide having to carry him all the way in from the playground, all the way to his desk. And then he proceeded to play dead while we were trying to get him to sit up and participate in class. And he continued to play dead until we brought the snacks out and then he was okay. But he really scared some of the children in class today. And I think it would be wise if you could come and pick him up and talk to him about this. So, I mean, there's things our kids do that are cutesy and fun. Obviously that one, you just have to laugh at, like, you know, he, he was in his role and he was not changing his role. And that's my little actor, if you can't tell. Um, yeah, but he anyway. was committed. <laughs> he was Except committed. For snacks. So, I mean, yeah, some the snacks and he was up and ready to eat. So, um, you know, our kids keep us on our toes. They're a lot of fun, but yeah, I think there's, that's one of many <laughs> out of the mouth of my babe's experiences as a boy mom who loves superheroes and football and all things in our house. Um, never saw that one coming. So that's hilarious. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Child actors have very specific, you know, working hours and they have to have a lot of breaks. <laughs> he was, he got a snack break and <laughs> that was it. He was good. But <laughs> hilarious. Kara, do you have a story? Yeah. So the past couple of days, so Parker is my younger child. So my boy girl twins are turning eight this week and Parker is a six and a half. And he has just been saying the funniest things and he's missing his tooth front teeth and he already has speech impediments, but everything has just been so funny. And lately he's like wrestles everybody that he can get his hands on, but he just keeps like, he can up with these like insults and they like, come here, you, you little, you little vegan. <laughs> like, come here, you little germ. Come here, you little oversized wolf. Like <laughs> my favorite is the come here, you little vegan. Like where, I don't what? know where he came up. Well, the that. fact that he thinks vegan is kind of like a bad word. It's like, <laughs> so do you know what a vegan is? No. Like, okay. I didn't even tell him. I was like, whatever. It doesn't matter. So, <laughs> oh, I want to share something too, that I got to visit Dana a couple weeks ago and Sawyer, I wrote this down. I forgot Sawyer, her daughter had, was pretty gassy. <laughs> she, every time she tooted, she like announced it and laughed and she tooted really loud. She goes, I love toots and coughs. <laughs> so yeah that came out of her babe but yeah Dana you nice. go next <laughs> well I mean we are just like in the potty talk potty world in fact today we started potty training so we're just really knee deep in that that life so everything is about potties but today I'll share so it's first day of, of potty training she was really sad when I made her like take off her diaper, take off her pants. And she was just pantless all day. Um, she was very sad about that. But then I told her she would get a gummy bear if she went poop or pee on the potty. And she was thrilled about that. So, uh, but I would throughout the day, remind her several times, swear, let me know when, when you need to go potty, let me know when you need to go potty. And at one point uh, after several times where she had gone on the potty, she says to me, no, mom, you tell me when you need to go to the potty. <laughs> so I was like, okay, fine. If I'm going to ask you every like 10 minutes when, if you need to go potty, then I'll tell you when I need to go potty. That's, I feel like that's fair. So that's fair. That's, fair. that's so funny, <laughs> but it seemed like it helped. And I would say our first day was pretty successful. So I'm pretty, pretty jazzed about that. Good. Well done. <laughs> well, thank you, Katie, again, for joining us. Um, 
we are so grateful for your courage and we know our listeners will also be really appreciative of that. In our show notes, we have linked where you can buy Katie's book directly. And we also have her Instagram handle listed so that you can connect with her if you have more questions. Thanks for joining us, babes. As always, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. We will talk to you next time. This week's episode is sponsored by Mixers. Individually packaged vitamin drink mixes that give you vital nutrients in a quick, effortless, and delicious mocktail form. Made for all of our women babes by babes. Our goal and mission is to have conversations that uplift and empower everyone to reach their potential, know their ultimate goodness, recognize their babehood, and use their voice for good. To do that, we could all use a little more energy and a boost. And that's why we love Her Power. Her Power is a non-stimulant energy supplement that provides stamina, concentration, mental support, and mental clarity. Struggle with racing mind and anxiety or feeling constantly tired? Uh, I do. Her power is your answer. Show up in life focused on point, full of energy, but without the crash and habit forming behaviors that caffeine can cause. If you want a little more energy and a little boost, follow the link in our show notes or our Instagram link tree and use code mixhers-babes. That's M-I-X-H-E-R-S-babes for your 10% off your order. You can even use it on your first month of subscription, which gets you 20% off. So add our 10% code and the 20% off subscription code for a total of 30% off and give Mix Hers a try.